0: Can you answer
1: uh-huh. me? Yeah, you back? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. See, this is why we don't go live. This is just... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, world. Hello, and welcome to our 13th podcast here at iAnimate. I am your host, Larry Vasquez. And that track that you're listening to there is from none other than our very own head of character animation, Jason Ryan. And he will be joining us for our podcast interview... I'm really looking forward to this one. Jason's a good friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for many years now. And he just has a wealth of information for animation. And so this should be a really fun and informative podcast. And joining Jason in the interview will be another great guest, uh, Mike Walling. I actually had him as my first instructor here when we started iAnimate back in 2010. And he also has a number of years of experience having worked at uh, Sony, Blue Sky, uh, DreamWorks, working currently now on Turkeys. So if you're ready for the podcast, I'm ready for the podcast, and I'm going to bring them on.
2: Hey. Glad hello, to be here. <laughs> How
1: you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight, guys. We really appreciate your time. I know I say this to all the guests, but it is really a, a, definitely an honor and a privilege to get you guys on here. So thank you very much for your time.
0: No, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah no worries, Mike.
1: It's a pleasure. So let's get into a little bit here. I want to be able to talk about your guys' background in animation. I know, Jason, you've got a really cool podcast with the guys from Speaking of Animation, so we'll direct them to that one as well. But just kind of give us a little bit of a background.
3: Yeah, uh, well, this year actually marks my 20th year being a professional animator. Awesome. uh, Which is kind of cool, you know. Uh, I was trained as an animator back in Ireland, in Dublin. Um, I did two years of feature animation training in Deliri College of Art and Design, which was basically down the road from where I used to live, and then one year in Ballyfermot Senior College, which was uh, which was an awesome course that was set up by Don Bluth and Gary Coleman. They they basically set that up because they were, they were making movies back in Ireland, like uh, Land Before Time, American Tale, and all dogs go to heaven, and they wanted to train up animators to go directly work for Sullivan Bluth, which was turned into Don Bluth Studios. So when I finished uh, Valley Fairmontina College, I made I made like a basically a, a bunch of animation that strung together as a sort of story. It wasn't really a story at all. It was just kind of music-driven uh, animation, but it, it was sort of showed off like what I could do with two D animation. You know, I have to say, like I mean, two D animation never really came easy to me. I I was always able to draw my own stuff and animate my own stuff a lot better than I could animate somebody else's design, you know. So like if you're if you're doing a design like Punchback, you know, Quasimodo or something like that, it's a lot harder to do that than it is to do something that you're really really familiar with drawing, which is your own style. So when CG came about, I was jumped on that like with with all our hands out. I was like, oh yes, something where I can just use my knowledge of animation and not have to think about the drawing aspect of it, how to actually draw the character because the character's already drawn for you. So now I just need to make it like really appealing from that angle by using my 2D sort of techniques.
1: That's a really interesting kind of, I think, first, because typically when you talk with guys who have that 2D background, they tend to be more hesitant to jump to the CG.
3: Yeah, yeah. And th- these are guys that are the, the rock stars of animation in my book. You know, Anybody who actually worked for walt disney or dreamworks in the 2d and the things they know how to draw they, they're the ones that find it very easy to draw now i always felt like i was drawing with with boxing gloves on or something you know it just it just never came natural to me yeah he's not I mean, kidding either well uh, no i'm not it's really not i mean it's it's one of those things that once you're drawing your own stuff i mean like you'll see the way i i kind of animate i would do up these kind of little stick figures almost because it's the fastest way of getting your pose and your thoughts from your brain onto the screen, you know, or onto the sheet of paper. Um, So that way I can work out my animation super quickly. And then I use the computer, the CG model, to sort of tie it down, if you will, instead of actually rubbing, rubbing down the drawing and trying to get it on model and getting the proportions correct and pose to pose, getting those poses looking exactly the same. That to me was always a struggle.
1: No, but it seemed like some of that your background has definitely helped you even in your thumbnail sketching out that you have still a good eye for perspective. So that yeah, seems to yeah. still have but played a good sort of, role there.
3: Yeah, that definitely was beaten into you. you know, as a as a 2D, in your 2D training to not do the symmetry, to not do the cliche poses, to really try and get like some of those interesting angles that gives you that appeal. And rather than doing like a straight arm, you know, where you can draw a straight line down the body. And it's exactly the same on either side. You want to be able to have some asymmetry through the face and even through the body to get that sort of appeal in the actual pose.
1: Right. And just for our audience sake, uh, I'm sure everybody knows who these guys are, but Jason's the one with the Irish accent. So <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: there it is. I was waiting for it. <laughs> what about well, you, Mike?
0: I mean, for me, this is actually this summer will be my 13th year in a animation career basically.
1: Awesome. Um
0: and so I uh unlike Jason I um it wasn't too long before I realized I couldn't draw and I wasn't going to be able to draw as quickly as I wanted to get into the industry. And uh luckily at that time CG was just about to take off. Toy Story had come out and Bugs Life was in production and so I was lucky enough to get into PDI as a PA production assistant and do a bunch of grunt work for a while. And you know they, they were nice enough to give me a computer for after hours so I could um, sit down and, and start to chug away at what computer animation was. And some of the guys were nice enough to uh, help me out after hours. So I spent about four years at PDI doing um, different jobs while I learned to animate on the side. And eventually was able to get my first gig on Jimmy Neutron working out of DNA Productions in Dallas and got my start that way. And then, you know, just from there, just worked my way into Blue Sky. And it was was interesting transformation as well because I was at PDI where I was basically doing walk cycles and really, really poor acting shots because I just didn't understand acting at all. But I did understand weight for some reason. From day one, I really understood what weight looked like. And so I was able to animate weight pretty much right off the bat. And then getting into the acting part of it, there was nobody there to really give me structure. And I would get advice from these guys, but they would—they really didn't know how to break it down into like a, an instructor kind of mentality, I think, you know, and so it took me a lot longer to really to get into the acting part of it. And it wasn't until I went to DNA Productions that I really, I, I kind of learned how to structure my work. In fact, a lot of us were doing straight ahead animation when we first got there. And it was kind of terrifying because we didn't know what we were doing. They hired us for this gig because they needed people really badly. And I would get storyboards. And I would basically just look at the boards and copy the pose for frame one and then work my way down the shot and just kind of like figure out the motion along the way based on that first pose. And uh, a couple guys who were working at Fox Animation and I think it was New Mexico. It was the Titan A.E. guys. They finished up Titan A.E. and then hopped over to DNA and um, they were 2D guys. And they, they kind of came in and looked at what we were doing and said, oh, we need to t- teach these guys how to like do a workflow. So they taught the crew how to do step key blocking and how to, like, really block out our shots like a 2D animator would do a pose test, basically, you know, with poses, you know. That was my first introduction to, like, really to shot structure. I have to admit, a lot of us were hesitant at the time because we just didn't we didn't get it. it took me a while to understand what I was doing, what I was looking at. But then I would say three months into it, I was like, I was hooked. I was like, oh, this is how you do it. Okay. But what was interesting, too, was that, you know, we were doing basically, like, nickelodeon kind of tv quality animation at the time and i knew that i couldn't sustain that forever because it was exhausting you know and i wanted to do i wanted to get into a more mainstream kind of like a feature film production so i had my sights set on blue sky it seemed like the next logical step for me and it seemed obtainable under the right circumstances and so i basically decided one day okay i'm done working here i'm, I'm exhausted So I gave myself a month to do a new demo reel. And I knew that I couldn't really get a job at Blue Sky with my Jimmy Neutron TV animation. And my feature film animation from Jimmy Neutron was was basically my first gig. So I wasn't comfortable showing that as my demo reel. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do a brand new reel from the ground up. So I gave myself one month. And I was so hungry at the time for that job that I, I was animating whenever I was awake. Period.
1: So you weren't working at the time either?
0: No, I would do my day job at DNA, and then I would go home, and I would animate till 2, 3 in the morning, get a couple hours sleep, get up, animate till I had to go to work, go to work, come home for lunch, animate, go back to work, and I would do this every day for a month, and so I basically animated 7 shots total, sent them to Blue Sky through a buddy of mine, he had a contact there, his name was Ross, he got me an interview, and so they flew me out, and we had a conversation with a bunch of the guys, and... You know, just for good measure, I animated one more shot and I literally was animating the morning my flight had to leave. And I, so I had to literally pop a disc in my, my CD burner and, and copy the, I had to burn the shot onto a disc as I was like, I had my bags in my hand. And so they thought that was hysterical when I got to the interview and they thought that was just so funny. And so I think that actually kind of made them giggle in a way that kind of chuckled at me and this guy's cool, you know. <laughs> so I think it actually helped me, even though they didn't care. They their attitude at the time was, well, if we if we already have brought you out here and we're having a conversation, we kind of like your work. We just want to see if we, we want to see if you're compatible with the team. So it worked out pretty well. And uh, they were it was a great, great production. So that was so that's that's basically how it just continued to go that route every time I wanted to, like, you know, advance to another position or another or another studio, whatever. Get the shots on your belt and show it.
1: How's compatibility worked from studio to studio with you guys? I mean, typically you think you show your demo rule, that's what's going to sell it. Obviously, I know that's a, a big key, but you mentioned compatibility. Has that been the case for you guys at each of your studios there?
3: I want to say, because my first big break, I guess, was was definitely back in Ireland, um, coming directly out of college. I, I didn't work for Don Bluth Studios. I worked for these ex-Bluth animators who set up their own company called Dagda Film. And uh, we were co-producing films with Germany. Uh, which was really cool because we were animating in different languages, you know, we were animating in German, which was for your first lip-sync sort of shot, you know, in German. Yeah, I mean, you, you really had to kind of figure out like what are they saying, number one, and and how do they say that? So we would get like our x-sheets, which would have like the words broken down sounds like they would as if it was English and then we'd have like English translation of each word so that you knew exactly what each word meant. So you didn't do a gesture or or something on the wrong word. But yeah. to top that on off, it was all cats and, and not cats like Dickie Bows and Cigars. It was like cats like being cats. So wow. it was actually a really cool film. But like my biggest break was then going to Disney, who was uh, who really wanted to hire 2D animators who wanted to learn how to do CG. And I had a, a brief introduction to CG with Andrew Spencer Studios in London. It was actually his own program that he wrote himself, which was amazing to me. He wrote wow. his own animation program to animate his own games, and um, it was. I think it was under the label Cygnosis at the time, and I think they got taken over by Sony. I'm not. I'm not even sure if the actual game that we were working on actually got made or not. But mm. Disney uh, gave us a call um, because one of the one of the guys I'd worked with. Back in Ireland, Doug Bennett uh, was now working at Disney, and he said, well, there's these these two guys in London, Eamon Butler and Jason Ryan, you know, they're working in London. Maybe you want to give those two a a shout. They might be interested in coming over to work on Fantasia 2000. So I got a call from Hendel Butoy, who gave me my first gig, basically, but he, he wanted to see our stuff, and I had really no CG stuff on there. At all. I mean, it was mostly just my 2D stuff, and and even at that, it was back in Ireland. We were paid by the foot, which basically meant that for every shot that you got approved, that's when you got paid, right? And a foot is basically 16 frames, right? So if you got like 10 feet done a week, that's about 160 frames, and you maybe got like uh, I don't don't even remember how much it was per foot, but if if your shot didn't get approved, you didn't get paid. Put it, put it that way
2: uh-huh.
3: and, and and it didn't matter like uh, character footage or shot footage it didn't matter like okay. I had like shots where there was 28 cats running from a top angle around a corner you know like I basically had to do that whole shot and, and it was really only maybe three feet but that took me a week because it was like 28 cats you know <laughs> <laughs> for like 48 frames like you, you do the math 28 by
1: 40. <laughs> Is that where you learned your quick workflow?
3: Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's why you have to start working fast. Got to come up with results very quickly because otherwise, like you're not going to have uh, the rent money to pay rent. You know? <laughs>
0: well, I think part of the key to that too is in terms of workflow is teaching these kids how to like work quickly so they can get to a point where they have more time to polish, you know, and right. so that they get the blocking done quickly. They get it looked at, they get the notes turned around. And then they, they make the adjustments, and then they have more time on the back end to polish the shots, you know. And I think that's, that's one of the keys as well.
3: I mean, we have to get to that level of polish and get to that stage like where you know exactly what you need to polish to get your shot finaled. The problem with doing quick shots all the time is that you never really get to that level of polish. You never do, it's impossible. Otherwise, yep. like, you'll, you'll be there all year doing the first shot it just doesn't get to that stage because you've got to get the shots done to a certain level and then you've got to let it go and get on to your next shot because production's got to go on. Uh, yeah. Whereas at features, you you have to, you know, you have to get that level of polish. Like, I mean, I'm animating shots on, uh, on Turbo where, like, there's probably nine characters, right? But there's only three main characters on the screen. But there's still those other six in the background that I have to do, you know? I can't just, like, yeah. put in a hell cell there, you know? Even though exactly. you're never gonna see them, and I'm gonna say, "Hey, you see those six snails in the background there?" And people are gonna go, "What snails?" And I am like, "The ones over there." Well, each one of those are animated. Yeah. They don't come for free. You know, there's no exactly. simulation for that. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's why I tell my students as well, like, "Hey, you know, if you can spend an hour a night versus opening the shop for the first time Friday night or Saturday, and trying to like bust it out because." Yeah. You're not getting eyes on it, you know, and, and you're not getting used to seeing what you're looking at. And then you're just, you're going to chase your tail sometimes because you're going to run into problems and then you got no time, you know. So then next thing I you know, the shots do, and you're struggling. So,
3: and, you know, like with iAnimate, it's, it's funny because I'm doing these JRA demos mm-hmm. every week and I'm animating live, but I don't touch the shot from week to week. <laughs> so, like, when I open up the shot, I see it with fresh eyes every time mm-hmm. and I go, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. This wasn't. uh, This wasn't how I remembered it. You know. (laughs) Does somebody come in here and like (laughs) mess up like this part here? Or you know, (laughs) because you get so blind to your own stuff. And that. I mean, I think what Mike Walling is saying is it's fantastic because if you can do like a little bit, two hours one night, and then leave it, and then go do whatever you need to do, rest, like watch TV, go do your social things, and then come back and do another two hours like the next day, you'll come back to those those previous two hours that you spent on there and you might be able to go oh wow oh okay cool i can see it now i can i can see what i need to fix or what i need to push because what i thought was reading may not be reading now
1: versus spending that four hours in that same mode breaking it up where you can kind of get out of that mode and see it differently
3: i mean i I totally think about uh, animation like as if it was like a live drawing Mm. you know the way like you, you might do quick two minute sketch live drawing poses where you've got a capture that whole thing super fast. Like get it in there. Get yeah. the details in there. You know, you can't like spend time like super slowly rendering the eye and then go down to the nose and get the smile just right. No, you've got to like whip it all down there. And then you've got like if it's like a five minute pose and you've you've already sketched the whole thing in, in two minutes. Now you can go back and start refining things. And I think nice. like doing like a long pose, I think of that like an animation shot. Like let's say it's a four our life drawing pose you still want to treat it as if it's a quick sketch get all the proportions down there and then it leaves you like the whole time to just refine it start getting in the polish you know making sure all your proportions are right but if if you treat it as if it's a four hour pose right from the beginning then you're going to start to delay and you're going to start to do all the hairs on the eyebrow come down to the eyelash you know and then to this And, and then you'll come out with a really stiff drawing because you, you you haven't taken the whole thing in you know in one go you're starting like just with the head and and then you'll start working out to the shoulders and then looking at, and then you'll stand back and you'll be like oh 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 whoa the head's way too big for the body here like or else they, they they'll leave like no room for the feet down at the end of the page so it, it's like treat your animation sounds as if it's like a quick sketch get the whole thing blocked in don't try and refine the first five or six frames and get that working, and then move on to the next six frames, try and get the whole thing in blocking, and then see the whole thing as a whole. Even if it's in step mode, you'll still get a lot more from it than as if you try to refine the first 12 frames, get that working perfectly, and then move on to the next 12 frames, get that working with the first 12 frames. And then by the end of the shot, you'll be looking at your shot going. it's way too busy. There's too much going on. It's, it's all yeah. over the shot. There's no breathing room in there. You you feel like you you filled every frame with information, and it's just too busy.
0: It's funny just listening to you talk about even just doing a, a quick sketch versus a four-hour pose. It's the same workflow, you know what I mean? And it goes into animation the same way. Probably writing music and everything else artistic, yeah. putting down those foundations and having those foundations and knowing how to put those fence posts in the concrete and get them solid and then like build on top yeah. of it and just rough it out and just get it all solid, you know? So, yeah, it's just
1: funny. Well, let's talk about workflow then, because that was one of the things I have here in my notes. Mike, you get a shot. What is your workflow? What do you start doing? And then we'll move to Jason. Well,
0: it's funny because after I left um, Blue Sky, I kind of had this attitude of step key blocking is the only way to animate. And I stuck to that for uh, probably a few years. And then I came to DreamWorks, and I went from... Basically Ice Age type movies to then suddenly Poe on Panda, who just kinda like bobbles in the wind, very organic, very, very natural, you know? And so I quickly realized that that maybe I didn't want to step key everything out. And so I at that point I kind of made a decision to open my mind a little bit to workflow. So I don't know if it's good or bad, but for me personally, I literally will change my workflow based on how i feel getting out of bed that morning <laughs> <You know? laughs> like if i'm it's it just it's my state of mind it's its like how tired i am it's it's just like it's where i'm at you know and it, and it also comes down to what the shot calls for if the if the acting is very subtle and very organic sometimes i'll keep it in spline but i'll still block it out i always block it out still the poses are always there so I still do my my step key in a way, but sometimes what I'll do is I'll do it in spline. So I'll do spline blocking. Which
1: is uh, blocking?
0: Yeah, I don't use that anymore because the the director I'm I'm under right now he he yells at us if we use that word. So
1: <laughs> oh, I'm come I'm, on.
0: I'm waning myself of that word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I uh, yeah I I'll, I'll still block it out structured, but sometimes I leave in, in spline. And what I'll do is I'll break it down one time. And then I'll, I'll build in my ease-outs and ease-ins right there with my pose transitions. So that at least that way I'll have a clean transition from pose to pose. And the shot, even though I'm still blocking it out, I'll have a breakdown in there. And sometimes I've been able to take a medium close-up shot, maybe 80 frames or so, and get it finalized in like one day because you're splining it, even though you're still blocking it out. Uh, versus if I had taken that same shot and blocked it out in step key, I would have probably showed my supervisor that day. He would have said, okay, let's show the director in the morning. So then I would have showed it the next day. I would have maybe gotten some notes. And then I would have gone to spline and maybe showed my supervisor that afternoon. And then the next morning I would have gone for final. So sometimes you can you can bust something out that's pretty manageable quicker, I think, in, in spline blocking. But uh, again, I don't know if it's right or wrong. In my opinion, I mean, Jason might just slap me around for this, but um, in my opinion, it's like, at the end of the day if if you're solid in your mechanics and you're solid in your ideas and you've planned it comes down to what it looks like on the screen and and if you're confident in your workflow, whether you go spline that day or blocking I think that that it's okay but I've become very organic
1: personally in okay. terms of that you know all right Jason. What's your workflow here? (laughs) What is my
3: workflow? No, it's not not so much different to Mike's there. Uh, I mean, I I definitely think it depends on the type of shot that you're doing. If it's like a a very subtle acting shot where it is like a mid close-up or a close-up, let's say it's like 15 seconds long, like the actual shot, and there's maybe like four beats, like four different transition emotions or thoughts, then I might have four poses, like one pose for each beat. Just... One pose, one storytelling pose, one golden pose for each of those transitional beats. One thing that will say, that's the pose that I really want to hit. That's the one that one pose that I want the audience to see. It doesn't matter how many keys are around that pose, but I want this image to be remembered by the audience. And um, so I'll, I'll hit those first and I'll just put those, I mean, I'll animate it probably linear. Like set my preferences to linear, all the curves linear, because it's most predictable for me for transitions. I know it's just going to be a straight line going from pose to pose, and it's just a way for me to see if something's kind of flipping on a transition, like as if it's gimbal lock, like and the hands go, you know, around, like oh, just got two poses. You're like, what's going on there? Like I just, mm-hmm. I just went 180 degrees or something, you know, with the hand. Uh, so I want to be able to fix that as I'm going, but I'm just flipping those four poses just toggling back and forwards and seeing what's changing in those four poses. what am I actually seeing here is it is it too much of a transition is the character like feeling unnatural just going from those poses I want to create that window of time that's what I usually talk about this window of time for this pose I want that to be remembered and I want to be able to say okay I want to see this for 40 frames and then The next pose I'm going to see for 24 frames and I've got a window of time in the middle where it's going to transition between those two poses. So I want to say, well, how slow do I want to go from that pose to the next pose? What is going to be the transition there? Is it going to be super zany, cartoony, or is it going to be very, very subtle, organic? So that's really the way I break it down. It's sort of like, I want to get those poses in there first, because if those poses aren't reading in the beginning, there's no foundation for the shot. It just means I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And, and usually what I'll do is I'll do this as a 2D sketch. You know, I'll do it first like as a flipbook sketch just to kind of get my ideas out there. And then if it's a very naturalistic shot, then I'll shoot live action. But I'll go in with that thought in mind with those ideas that I just kind of came up with in my 2D drawings. Just, OK, these are the poses that feel sort of natural to me. Now I want to see if they're natural by acting, acting them out. And this is cool because it means you're not going into your live action reference shoot just totally blind. You're going in with something already sort of in your brain. You've already sort of pretty much learned the line verbatim because you've been working on it for a little bit, almost doing like thumbnails on a sheet of paper. Except now I'm going in with something a little bit more solidified because I can now see those poses toggling from frame to frame. Like my brain's almost filling in the in-between actions going from pose to pose.
1: Now, when you look at your reference and you see something that's different in your reference versus maybe, say, your flipbook pass. pass, right. what do you do if you prefer something in your reference?
3: Then I'll try and incorporate that. I would do that in Maya. But here's the thing. When I'm acting it out, it's me acting it out. It's not my character acting it out. I'm trying to be the character, but I have to realize that it's, it's my body and not the character's body. The character should always be better at doing this than you are. You have to remember that, you know, because you, you can act self for yourself and it might come across as being very natural. But you have to realize that it's you, it's your body, whereas like your character, like maybe a dog, it may be a donkey, it might be, you know, a kangaroo. You've got to realize that, like, you're acting this for this character. You've got to like kind of think about that character. So any sort of head nods or gestures that you're doing has got to suit the character for sure. And I mean, that's that's totally different. I mean, I I shouldn't have even brought up those animals, but let's say a different proportioned character, like a female character. I mean, you're you're a man and you're going to do all these gestures. But are they really what that character should be doing? Like, is that true to that character in that situation? Or are you just kind of doing something that feels natural to you because you're a man?
1: And that's one thing I've noticed that you do really well is you take the things that you like from your reference, but you aren't married to it. I I know there's been a couple of times where I've shown you my stuff here and you're talking about changing this. I'm like, yeah, but that's in my reference. You're like, yeah, but we aren't trying to copy reference. We're trying to push it. And so I think that's one of the things you do very well is take that gesture or whatever it is from your reference, but use that as a uh, backbone, not trying to copy it.
3: Exactly. Like a jumping off point it's kind of like, oh, that that was kind of cool. Oh, that that actually did feel like it, w- it would suit that character really well. But now let me make it his gesture and not my gesture. So like whatever it would be, like the arm, like is it heavier than my arm? Is it lighter than my arm? Is it a female character? Is it a kid character? Like what is it like that I could do to make that more like the character and not like me? So people look at some shots that I've done, even for the I like, animate stuff, and go, how did you come up with those ideas? And I'm like, Well, I have to I have to go back and like watch the tapes again (laughs) to see where the evolution because a lot of my shots evolve, like from the 2D, the initial 2D thumbnail stage. And then and then like I get more ideas as it comes along. I mean, you you see me work. It's sort of like you you, you kind of go in with like the idea in your head. Okay, here's what I'm definitely going to be doing. And then when you start posing out and start playing it back at 24 frames per second, sometimes it feels too busy and you kind of go oh hold on a second that's not going to work that transition is way too fast i thought that was going to work so let's see yep. if we can figure out how to make that more natural now for the character for the amount of time that i've got
0: that's the beauty of it though too though you know because that's actually what i'm happiest when i'm animating is when i'm sometimes in the spline part of my shot and i start experimenting sometimes it just keeps the monotony down for me and the shots definitely do evolve know you brought up a really good point jason about the reference and so forth and and being in character and stuff and i think that's why a lot of us are kind of like projection actors we we can project ourselves or our character onto the puppet but we may not be as good in front of the camera and so i think it's important to talk about that kind of stuff in class too about what you do grab from reference and what you let go you know and and not try to like rotoscope or what do they call it rotoscope light you know out of your reference right, right. by taking taking little things like I'll, I'll give you a good example i have a student in this workshop right now who did a shot um of his character coming down the stairs i looked at his first pass blocking and uh i was like great keep going right week two comes by and he's like got it broken down and he's starting to explain it and um i looked at it and i said hey you shot reference for the part coming down the stairs, didn't you? But there's no reference for the the stuff on the ground, right? And he's like, no. He's like, I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm like, I can tell completely because he was doing stuff on the stairs that I was like, there's no way he came up with that out of his brain. Like He had to have been looking at something because there was a lot of nuances and subtleties in the mechanics that I was like, that's great. I mean, it was really nice, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, good job, with shooting reference and taking stuff out of there that was beneficial for the for the shot. And what it did is it made it it made it less surfacey and more character driven, I think. Yeah. And it yeah. it made the animation more relatable to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there was a weight to it and a little bit of extra something in just the way that the character came on the stairs. But then when he got to the bottom and he turned around he was, he wasn't sure what to do. So I was like, Oh, there's no reference for that. Is there, you're just, you're just trying to figure it out. he's like, yeah, I'm trying to find it. I was like, but it's a great example of how those things can work for you having something to kind of reference. But like Jason said, at the end of the day too, you're not the character and they're oftentimes different proportions and totally different characters. Very good point though.
1: I was actually going to ask you what your workflow is with reference as well, Mike. So that's very good. Do you use reference often as well, or is that depending on what time you got out of bed and how you're feeling different yeah. <laughs> too? I look
0: in the mirror, I'm like, no, am not keeping reference today. Yeah. You know, i got to be honest, man. It's, um, I, I can preach all day long about using reference, but I'm really bad sometimes about it because I'm like anybody else. I, I get under pressure sometimes just from work, and I have a tendency if I'm, if I'm left to my own devices, I'll jump right into the shot. However, on the movie I'm working on right now, reference is almost completely mandatory and so they really want reference as your first blocking pass and then they'll approve your blocking based on your reference and just go 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 spline it and then you'll go and you'll do it and then the shot will evolve through your supervisors as you go along. Um, I had a shot that I just actually finished that took me a little longer because I didn't shoot reference and there was a lot of pushing back and forth and I was struggling to find where the threshold of one character's heavy, but the other character has to have a pop and the push. I'm like, well, how do you draw that line? Because this character's huge, and this but this other character, you want to get that that pop in there when he like pushes them, you know? And so um, I was spinning my wheels for a little bit, and it was a perfect example of I should have just stopped and shot reference, but I got under pressure and I just kept going and I kept going and I kept going, and the shot evolved, not in a good way. It actually we we kept going back and forth, and then finally. I got on camera with my supervisors and we just acted it out. And as soon as we did that, two hours, I had it. It was just like, boom, because there it was. I, I could literally see it right in front of me and I could see, okay, there's a the contact point. Oh, his his body pushes into it and then he pops the arms out. And it, and while he's doing that, the other character is slowly easing out and the momentum is building and then he pops back and he builds speed out of it. Okay, that makes more sense, you know, and you could just see it in front of you. And so... That's when you kick yourself
3: in the butt and you're like, why didn't I just shoot that in the first place, you know, or, or ask someone to shoot it for me. I, I think there's still like a stigmatism attached to shooting reference, you know, there I think people is. still feel like it's cheating. And the thing that everybody's got to realize is that this is not something new. This is something that, you know, we, they were doing like on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I mean, action analysis. For they sure. literally had to shoot live action reference to figure out how those dwarfs were going to do the happy dance, you know what I mean? Like they had yeah. to do, and like Peter Pan, the whole movie was shot live action, and it just makes it more easier to sort of solidify your ideas. I'll give a, a great example on Megamind where I was supervising one sequence, and I had a bunch of animators that some I'd never worked before, some I did work before. I said, okay guys, we're gonna get together. I'm gonna shoot this whole sequence together. We're gonna cut it together. I'm gonna show the director the whole sequence shot in live action, and we're each gonna play a part of the characters in our shots. Now, if there's two characters in a shot, then we'll just kind of get some animators like uh, Ben Rush and Ken Felton were, were fantastic acting buddies. You know, they they would be more than happy to volunteer, like to, to mm-hmm. act out mm-hmm. like the second part in a, in a shot. This is the, the part in Megamind, where Megamind busts through the wall and says, Are you even going to show up? He's talking to Titan, and Titan's there sitting back on the couch, like playing this video game, you know. And he he just stole like a whole bunch of stuff. He's like, you know, look at all this stuff, you know. I don't want to be good. I want to be bad, you know. It's like, I'm going to use my power for evil. And now Megamind is like getting really upset because Titan's supposed to be the new hero that he created, and he's using it to, to become even more evil than he was, you know. So he's getting really upset with this whole thing, you know. So We wanted this beautiful interaction between the two characters. And uh, it it was fantastic. And Tom McGrath, like, loved it. He was like, this is fantastic. Like, how come we don't do this on every sequence? And it it, it really was an eye-opener because it it was, like, blocking out your shot. The whole sequence was blocked out in one day. Like, we had a pretty clear idea of, like, the acting choices that we were going to be doing. Like... um, Tom was able to talk to some of the acting choices that were even in the live action and and sort of steer us in the right direction, like if we were going overboard or if we weren't even going far enough. It really helped us to sort of nail down our ideas i mean that's the whole idea of doing the live action references to sort of get your ideas onto the screen because if yeah. you're if you're looking into your head and you're you're animating a your shot and you're mm-hmm. you're trying to keep yourself in the moment of the actual character living that moment it's super hard because. It could be working on a shot for weeks and weeks and weeks. And actors on stage or like actors like for TV or feature films, they can stay in that moment for the entire length of the shot. We can't do that as animators. So we have to be able to to sort of portray something on the screen that we can immediately go to and say, that's it. They're, they're, I'm actually in the moment for the entire shot and to try and get that spontaneity into our animation. Yep.
1: Now both of you guys worked on crudes and I wanna kinda of maybe take what we've kind of talked about so far and kind of now talk about how it's affected you guys with with crudes here. One of the things I know having talked with you guys, you can be on one movie for a bit and then now pulled onto this this movie here. What was the style of this movie here for you guys?
0: It's funny because I gotta be honest, I have a hard time nailing down what crudes is in terms of the style. I mean, it's it's caricatured, you know, but it's not it's not Megamind and it's not guardians either though you know what i mean it's somewhere right.
3: it was like a stylized naturalism sort of thing you know i mean it was yeah, deceptively because... natural exactly because
0: it's interesting because the characters are definitely stylized they're pushed yeah. i think in a lot of ways but at the same time it's not a posing movie but there's a lot of physicality in it as well i think that's probably what you would categorize it as is definitely like push stylized move like naturalism yeah yeah,
1: yeah that's probably the best way to, to call it what were some of the biggest challenges that you found on this movie with its style? It's the sheer amount of
3: part. characters. <laughs> yeah. Every so. shot of like the whole family, in it. you know, six characters. You're like, oh. He's not
0: kidding, man. Like there, I had shots where I was animating nine characters in a, in a shot, eight characters in a shot, but from scratch, you know, and you got four days to do the shot. And Jason was talking earlier when he was talking about working uh, in Ireland about it didn't matter character count versus a shot count or whatever, it's like, it's it, that hasn't changed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, two characters versus 10 characters, it's, all right, you got a two-day bid on this shot, you know? Yeah, it was pretty character-heavy, for, in my opinion, but I think what made it harder in some cases was just the, the sheer physicality of, of characters pushing each other around, you know, and a lot of physical climbing and stuff.
1: How do you shoot reference for something like that where you said, like, a lot of climbing? I remember on one of the ones you talked about with the little girl, I don't know her name. Sandy. Sandy, kind of crawling up on her, her mom and trying to get to her grandma. What do you do with a shot like that? It's not something you can necessarily get one of your kids to do or have a, one of your co-workers jump on your back and try to climb on you here.
3: Right. What do yeah. you
1: do with something like that?
3: Uh, I did one shot um, where I had to choreograph like the whole family coming out. and They're doing this sort of uh, breakfast formation. And when you see the actual movie, it's li- literally where the, uh, the letters are falling down saying the crew... Basically, it's near the start of the movie, but I had to choreograph all the family members coming out. So we had Thunk, we have Uga, the mom, and then we had Sandy running out, jumping on Oga's mom. So there's three characters. Then you had Grog, who's the dad, and then you have Eep, who's the, the teenage daughter, and then you had Gran. So like all six characters had to come out into the breakfast formation from the background. So... Like for something like that, I we shot live action. I actually made James shoot live action reference for Grog. I had Lena, who was the, the supervisor for Eep, to do both Eep and Olga. She actually did Grand the grandma as well. She actually mm-hmm. did the mother in law.
1: No, you say James James Baxter.
3: James Baxter. Oh, yes.
1: Okay, yeah, very cool. Yeah,
3: and uh, Sean Sexton was the the lead on Olga, but he always yeah. like. You always wanted to to let lena shoot the the female characters you know because she had That's those smart. down perfectly of course she was gonna uh, yeah fantastic funny thing about lena she had her acting pants Should yeah. i want say lena i'd mm-hmm. love to have you shoot some some acting reference for us you know and she said hold on wait till i go into my office so she she'll change into a pair of black pants <laughs> 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 and her, like spandex sort of uh you know, yeah the what were they pants. for yeah so I she'd think, get really yeah. physical <laughs> and she would literally do like the four-legged run and the four-legged walks like just perfectly you know
0: yeah
2: she was, he's not uh, kidding no, she was
0: awesome
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah she was committed but like um, the, the point I was trying to make is like there was nothing I could do for a live action reference for Sandy because she is like a little animal you know yeah. so all I was doing was just kind of looking at uh, little puppies kind of running mm-hmm. and and I just kind of just kind of got the four-legged run down and just sort of made her gallop in and then hop onto to Ugga's back and just get her settled in there
1: so kind of going back to what we were talking about with reference, just gleaning stuff from there that you can kind of use, even if it's like you're saying here puppies, you know that's not yeah. a human, but there's stuff that you can take from that to apply to your animation.
0: Yeah. You know what's interesting though, My like, guy had a, these two shots where the the dad scares guy, the one of the the characters who comes into the family later on, and he's got a torch and he like ah! he like screams and runs back and like the family surrounds him, and he's like brushing them back with the torch. And it was a hookup, so I had two shots in a row of that. So we went down to the mocap stage, and we got all the character leads down there. And I set up a table and put a camera on a tripod and got up high. And then we shot this thing, both shots. We 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 would basically project the layout up on the screen, and then we would loop it. And then we would go, okay, here we go. And then everyone had their sticks, and everyone was like, Fred was playing... His character, Gran, and he had a stick, you know, and then all the other guys were like running in and stuff. So we 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 did this whole thing where we shot reference for both those shots. But then what I realized was, getting back to my shot later, was is that it had to be much more tightly choreographed to have flow and to have each character read and be interesting in their own actions, instead of just randomly like chaos happening. So. I would, I would take the reference and look at what they were doing, and I literally had to take the essence of what they were doing, and I made my own mechanics from it, and, you know, more push timing, I think, and very much more graphic posing when I could get away with it. Because, like, Aga, she was on all fours, and she was jumping, she was, like, clawing at the fire and then jumping back, and I had a blast with her because I literally animated her on a path, like an, uh, a path of action, basically, and giving her more, uh, I want to say, more graphic in her movements, and then Sandy's on top of her, and the clawing and stuff, and like going from side to side on her back, so that's all I gotta read. and then I had all the whole family of six characters basically or five characters in this case, surrounding this guy, and they're all coming in from a different angle and it was it was very difficult on the first shot to figure it out. and then when I cut to the second shot, I just nailed it in like five days because by that point, it was like a hookup shot first of all, so I had my first pose. On the previous shot, and then I could just go into their actions, basically. Um, so it's a little bit easier, but but th- that is a case where we had lots of reference. But in the end, I was like the choreograph had to be much tighter, I think, and, and a little more stylized, a little more pushed.
1: Okay, so those are some of your biggest challenges for this movie. Obviously, like you said, the interaction. What were some of your guys' some of the biggest accomplishments for this movie? Maybe either as a whole, or maybe just individually.
3: You, you know, uh, I mean. I I was at DreamWorks for six years and Disney for 12 years before that. I think this was probably the best journey on a movie that I've had. And I was only on it for 50% of the movie because I was coming off of Madagascar 3 and then straight onto this movie, like when they were already 50% done. But I'd never been on any movie that was so smooth and like just well run from everything, the production staff all the way through through to the, the director. I mean, it was yep. just amazing. Like everything was just super clear in, in how the shots were issued to you. Everything was super clear. So you knew what way to approach the shots uh, on every level. So this was probably like the first movie that you were able to just pretty much put your heart and soul into your first pass. On oh. different movies with different directors, <clears throat> sometimes the first pass was just to get it out of the way because you knew they weren't going to go for that. They just needed to get something and then move on. I mean, seriously, some movies are like that. It depends um, on the director, of course, but but with Chris Sanders and, and Kurt D'Amico, they knew what they wanted and they were open to suggestions, but they would approve blocking if it was getting their idea across. So I think that was a major accomplishment, like for the actual movie and for DreamWorks because yeah, This movie should have taken longer to make because of the sheer amount of characters in every shot. But I think we did it ahead of time. I think we actually yeah. came under budget.
0: We were actually at risk of finishing the movie weeks early. And so they were like, everyone slow down. But Jason, Jason's right because I thought we had very good supervisors on the show. Yes. Yeah. We had guys like Hans and yeah. Sean Sexton and, and Lena and Fred. People who knew those characters so well. I was I was blown away at how... Lena could get into character at a moment's notice and like shoot reference with you. And Hans knew his character inside and out, Sean Sexton. Like it was amazing. But then I think management-wise was probably the smoothest movie I've ever worked on, personally. Yeah. Um, great management team. They had a really good way of putting the pressure on but making you motivated to want to do the work and not like frustrate you. Right. But I think the biggest thing for me was I noticed that Chris Sanders really trusted the animation department to do their job and he put a lot of trust into James Baxter to do his job and so he didn't have to burden himself with all the details of like more frames here angle ahead here he didn't care he's just like Jason said is the idea there is it getting what I need it's blocking yeah it's improved go for it just go finish the shot you know yeah. don't need to sit. Yeah. and so it, it put a lot of freedom on the team to literally, like, like Jason said, you could kind of do what you wanted as long as the team was okay with it. And then it got the, the idea across, the character arc, all that stuff for, for, the, uh, for the director, you know. And then James and the guys would help you bring it home, you know.
1: It was great. That's very cool because that was actually another question I had was working with Chris Sanders. He's obviously got a good history with how to train your drag and then Lilo and Stitch. And I actually remember seeing a post online and someone saying about this movie because not a whole lot had been out yet on it. But they said they were going to go see this movie because they knew Chris Sanders was uh, directing it, you know, and yeah, his involved, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: So
1: that's a neat testimony to working with a guy like that.
0: Yeah, it was cool plus james man james baxter that's yeah, what i was I gonna mean, ask you
1: next yeah
3: yeah that's see that that was like on my bucket list right there you know? <laughs> was, all the years i worked at disney we never worked together on anything you know and then i started to to work at uh at dreamworks on monsters versus aliens and james baxter came back to dreamworks while we were working on that movie now he, he just animated on monsters versus aliens but i never got to work with him he was never on any one of my sequences, but that would have been a bit bizarre, Like to actually supervise James Baxter. <laughs> 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 a little bit. Yeah, I would have been like, yeah, James, just do your stuff. Just, yeah. yeah get it,
0: you know, you know but, what you're doing. But what's great about James, too, is that, you know, sometimes I would just go down to James and say, hey, can you shoot a reference for me? Sure. And he would just get up out of, out of his chair, and he'd walk down to the acting room, and he would, he would sit there in front of me and pile up tables, and then, like, put a tripod up there, and, like, put a camera, and then he would, like, crouch down on the floor, and he would just do the stuff. There was no hesitation. There was no figuring out. He would just act it and go, there you go. And he'd go back to his office and go back to work. And then, and then he'd come by the next day and look at my blocking. And he'd, he'd go, Oh, you didn't have to copy my reference so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He'd be like, it's just, it was just there for ideas. You know, you don't, you don't have to like, cause I would, I'd feel like obligated to like, well, it's James. And so I would like block in his, Performance. He's like, oh, you don't have to do that. Just you know, use what you want from it. He's so humble, and and just would just get up and go shoot reference with you.
1: Was there anything that you guys gleaned from working with someone like that that you uh, feel like this is one thing I took away from that movie with him?
0: Well, there was one shot where I was kind of um, struggling with with this little dog, Douglas, this little croc dog, whatever. And I had an idea for the meat of the shot. I had an idea for the idea, like. Here's what's going to happen right here. And to me, that was the juice in the shot. But I was struggling with the mechanics of how to get him there. And so I was taking a couple of days trying to figure this out. And then James came over one day and looked at it. And he just goes, Mike, what's the shot about? And I was like, well, he's going to catch this seashell. I and mean, I want him to kind of pop up. I want him to be like really gelatinous and like pop down, like kind of like glob down on the ground, you know, and like have this like nice little stretch and squash quality and but it's about this and he goes okay well then animate that and then we'll worry about how to get him there afterwards. He's like block in the the juice of it like get the idea down you know. That may not be the right solution all the time but that was he knew how to kickstart me back into like that shot. So then I went back to the shot and I just blocked out the meat of that shot basically. And then I was like sweet and it just kind of motivated me got me back into the the mindset and then he was like he looked at it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, go. And and then I just figured out the run into the shot, and that was that. It was it was as simple as that for that particular shot. You know, so I think he had, he just had a good way of kind of like, I guess bedside manner or whatever, because <laughs> yeah. he would know he would come to my desk and he would know when he needed to draw and when he needed to just discuss it out based on like what he was looking at.
1: Do you ever keep the drawings?
0: Oh, I have them all. I have them all. I never asked him to sign them, so I have no proof that they're his.
1: (laughs) The drawings speak for themselves, huh? Yeah. Yeah, just that idea of kind of getting you realigned again, huh?
3: Yeah, I mean, like, too often we can get, like, involved in how the character's moving and forget about what the the actual shots are supposed to be about. It is sort of getting to the the core of the matter, right? And and the movement will take care of itself later on. Like, how is the character actually going to do that? But... Yet we do have to kind of like bring ourselves back and animate like a, like a story artist in the beginning. I try to get like that one pose, like for that meaty acting shot, or if it's a really fast organic contact, full on contact with multiple characters, then you you have to sort of like obviously work through those like straight ahead type thing, because there's no way you can pose to pose that type of like struggle or, you know, rolling around or whatever it is. You have to kind of just kind of straight ahead those. But, like, going in with, like, a clear idea of what is the point of the shot, like, will definitely get you, like, 50% there for sure, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah.
1: Now, one of the things that you said, Mike, was that you were really struggling with the mechanics. And, Jason, I've talked to you before. Were you, in one way, you said that struggle is always there. And it's kind of, I, I don't know, maybe it's just odd for me to hear you guys been doing this for years now yeah. and to hear you still talk about that struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it and why is that still the case then? Is it because of the way the industry is continually pushing or, or what?
3: I think we just don't want to dig into a bag of tricks because if we're, if we're just doing the same moves that we've always done, it's going to get really boring very quickly. And, and it, all of our shots are going to start to look the same, you know. Whereas the way to keep yourself fresh in this industry, like after 20 years, like you want to like do more expor- exploration and more experimentation. You know, like Mike was saying, you know, like yeah. getting to that stage where you can kind of go, I wonder if I just, i am saved the shot. Okay. Make sure I saved. Okay. Now I'm just going to delete exactly. this pose and squash the timing and see what it feels like without that whole pose in there and be brutal about it. Like make major changes to help, Sort of experiment, like to see what yep. you come up with, you know. Um, exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: Is that the one of the benefits with CG is the ability to be able oh. to kind of experiment a little bit more than that maybe? That
3: is absolutely the biggest selling point of yeah. CG is the ability, the tweakability factor. You can't do that in 2D. You can't get that uh, yeah. sort of like after the fact tweakability. You, you can you can retime things. Well, as soon as you've got to take out the eraser and start rubbing out stuff, you're you're gone. Unless you can do like some sort of a trick with with, uh, After Effects or something where you can start tweaking drawings (laughs) and (laughs) sort of splitting them up or whatever, you know? Uh, But uh, yeah, the tweakability with CG is definitely the selling point Um, for me. Yeah, that's a great point
0: too, because I noticed years ago, like I was talking earlier about sometimes I'm most happy when I'm able to experiment. And so what I'll do sometimes is I will leave sections of my animation very simple in terms of simple transitions from point A to point B, knowing that I'm going to go back in later and really play with stuff, because that's really what I'm happiest sometimes, because I'll I'll have an area where I'm like, there's possibilities for something really cool here, but I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do yet, but I'll figure it out. And sometimes I like to have that unknown, but, but I, I have the confidence to know that I'll get there. You know what I mean? So, so we talk about, we talk about how it is a struggle. Still, the mechanics are still a struggle. Animation's hard. It's never been easy for me, but I I have the confidence in myself to know that the weight will be there. The polish will be there. I may not know how I'm going to get there yet, but I know it's going to be there and hopefully I'll get there enough time to get the shot final before I get in trouble, you know, but Jason's right. It's one of those things where sometimes you save the file, And then you just go nuts you know and i actually tell my students now sometimes i'll look at their work i will look at their work on review day and i'll say listen this is not the time to be comfortable i want you guys somewhat uncomfortable and i'll tell them like save your file and then rip it up like rip your shot up experiment because you're going to develop your eye you're going to learn so much from failure and you're going to exponentially get better faster the more you do this stuff so don't sit here and try to make A bouncing ball a shot for your demo reel don't try to make a walk cycle for your demo reel necessarily you know don't do a push-pull exercise as a demo reel shot like get in there and rip it up and just tear your shot up rip your curves around like play with poses and one of my big things i talk about a lot of times in class is pose relationships in terms of that too because you know a lot of people are posing their shots out, but they're not thinking about how the poses relate to one another and how that character's moving through a path of action or moving through with, with flow in mind, you know, for what the mechanics are calling. And so obviously there's a lot of factors to animation, the biggest one being just entertainment and communicating those ideas in that way. But yeah, I mean, getting back to Jason's point, the the software is probably the, the biggest benefit of that is just being able to, like, save that file and then go try stuff and not really lose too much time or, or too much heartache, you know? <laughs> Open the last version up and, like, start all over. And, uh... <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, like, the, yeah, the, the, you know, eye dart tweaks. I mean, that in 2D, mm-hmm. like, you know, in CG, like, you can experiment with, like, okay, uh, I wonder how fast I can make this eye dart right here or the placement of that iDart. There's no way you can do that in 2D. You just can't do it. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I want to jump on one thing real quick too. I mean, that's and what and in terms of what Jason's talking about too. One thing that always amazed me is when when you start analyzing certain things that are done in two D back in the day. Like for example, I was sometimes I'll show like what's her name, Darl the Dimples, whatever from Casto Dance, the little girl. Mm-hmm. And there's this one in particular shot where I sometimes will bust out in class where she's throwing a temper tantrum and she's just like losing her mind. And the whole thing is extreme to the max. I mean, her poses and her her transitions, everything is just so extreme. I don't know who animated this particular shot I'm talking about, but mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable. But then <laughs> when you when you go through and you step through a lot of the vibrations in her body and the way she's recoiling out of certain moves, the drawings make absolutely no sense whatsoever in terms of like the relationships. Yeah. And I, I always wonder like how the animator knew. He was gonna get an appealing result with those drawing relationships from key to key because they were just so random. And it almost came down to a rhythm. But looking at them one at a time, even flipping three at a time, you're just like, I don't, I don't see it. But man, you play that shot back and it just makes sense. You know, it just works. And I don't know if that's just now that might just be experience too. I mean, because that, that's the same thing with our students versus Jason and I, or anybody else who's had more experience. It's just that after a while, not that you have bags of tricks, but you do know certain things. You can fall back on certain yeah. mechanics that you know will work. And then you can mm-hmm. go in there and you can push them, you can tweak them, you can add ideas to them. Well, so maybe you, it's just a matter of that, you know.
3: Well, Mike, yeah. I mean, you, you came up with it like earlier on. It's more of a, a comfort factor factor for us. We know that we're going to get to the, the final sure. stage. You know, eventually, True. and we're comfortable with that experimentation. Whereas somebody who's sort of on that learning curve, That's a great trying point. to get that first shot to the polished stage, and they, they're like, "I think I, think I got it. I, I got it. All right, don't touch it. Save it. Save it." You know, because you yeah. think like if I if I tweak one thing, the whole thing is gonna fall. Uh-huh. It's like Exactly the box, man. You and know, just, and there's a just latch like... on there. You know, <laughs> just like bust open, all band aids all over it. You know, yeah. So, I mean, the, the trick is, you know, that you'll never get to that really satisfied stage. I mean, like I haven't, I mean, maybe four shots in my entire 20 years. Oh, and I'm actually kind to sure. go, yeah, like I'm, I'm really happy with those shots. I don't know if I could do them any better. I mean, there really isn't. And you never really get to that stage, but you are yeah. sort of comfortable with letting the shots go. You can kind of go, you know what, I need to move on to that yep. next shot. I gotta get out of it, you know. Yeah. Um. And I mean, I can relate this to practically anything. Like right now, like with music, I'm I'm actually a drummer in a band, and we're recording for real, you know, our songs, and we're trying to get like our songs to be as good as they possibly could be on that day. There's the day. I, I you gotta be able to say, okay, we recorded this. Could it be any better? Could I do this any better today? No. All right, we're done then. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next song, you know, like uh-huh. otherwise we could record this like for years and years and years and That's years. That's a
0: great point, Jason, because you can be on a shot way too long. You know, you yes. can you can lose
3: it. Shot. on anything like even a drawing yeah. you could draw to death, you know. Yeah. And, and the same blind factor thing that we started off this whole conversation with. You get so blind to your own work that you need to be able to take those breaks and then come yeah. back to it with fresh eyes because yeah. you can't just animate it to death and kind of go. I think this is it. I think this is it. And then you need somebody's feedback, and then they'll look at it. And then it's a weird thing. I mean, when you're playing back a shot for somebody else or somebody else playing back your shot, you'll immediately see it through different ways. And you're like, oh, what? The, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, oh, maybe this is the wrong version. Hold yeah. on. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: You know, it's, you know, so it's funny. You start seeing your own mistakes, and you're like, well... Totally. It's funny because
0: you sit there and you laugh at it, but I've had moments on Ice Age uh, 3 where I got a cold sweat in dailies because and wanted to, like, I would start cracking jokes about, hey, I just want to apologize ahead of time for what you're about to look at, you know, because I would see the continuity come up, and when my shot was in there, and I was like, oh Because you you look at a shot on a 21-inch monitor, and it's it has a different timing than when you see it on a 15-foot screen. And yeah. so... I don't know why, but even my entire career, I feel like I'll feel like i have something snappy enough and then I'll see it in dailies and it looks slow to me up on the big screen with the shots around it, you know? Yep, and yep. so that, that forced me to start looking at my own timing. And I actually started shaving off frames of my timing passes in terms of, I would kind of default sometimes to a six frame transition just to start with and then like tweak it. And then I started going to a four frame transition with, you know, not including them, my ease out, my ease in, my overshoot, my settle—all that, all that other yeah. stuff that comes packaged with it—but because I started feeling like my stuff was just lethargic, you know, at times, and and you can you can start to put so much overlapping action on top of stuff that it becomes very soft if you're not careful, you know, and you do get used to looking at it. I remember working on *Horton Here's a Who*, and I would be sitting there for hours, like tweaking the mayor's face and he was such a pliable character we could shape his face into any shape so that's dangerous because you can get off model in two seconds you know yeah um so i would go to lunch and come back from lunch and be like who messed with my shot you know (laughs) it was it was nobody it was it was i took a break i came back and i was like whoa what is that you know and i would literally sometimes have to call my my buddy dave over and be like dave get me back on model and he would sit there and you go okay and he would there you go and he'd walk away I just pick yeah.
3: out of the controls zero. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you just reset the character I get Tippo. Oh, there we go. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, you you do, you just you become numb to it. And I I have this theory, okay? I don't know. This I might be a quack saying this, but you know how sometimes you'll be looking at a shot and you'll see a pop, but then if you loop it enough, the pop will go away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I feel like there's a mental That's denial
3: right there. But... yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I do think there's something in your brain that their brain is trying to smooth things out and trying to make you accept what you're looking at and trying to, like, connect the dots. And I think that we're just in danger of that all the time. You know, you're looking at it over and over again, you know. So it's like we – sometimes on uh, on turkeys that I'm doing right now, we'll, – We'll take our play Blast and we'll we'll flip them. We'll put them upside down. We'll look at them in, in mm-hmm. different angles, and then I'll I'll send it to someone else. Like, take a look at this. What do you see? You know, and, and you'll just get a barrage of notes sometimes. Oh, you know?
3: absolutely. I mean, we used to do that with 2D. You know, you do your, yeah. your, your a pose, and then you will turn it around and hold it up to the light to see it backwards to see if yeah. it's balanced. And you, yeah. you'll you'll surprise yourself. You'll be like, oh, yeah, I just did a balanced pose there. Turn it yep. around. Like all the eyes are all like melting. You know, like. Totally not in the right position at all on the face and totally off balance. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it'll be, it, it is actually an eye-opener, you know, to, to flip it horizontally or whatever.
1: This has been some really cool stuff because I wanted to get your take, Mike, having your teaching background, what's your philosophy in teaching. Jay, what is your philosophy as a whole for iAnimate? What is your – what you're trying to accomplish for each of the students here?
3: Right. Well, my goal is really, really simple, actually. I want people who are graduating – I know that they're going to be qualified animators that can be very, very comfortable handling any shot in their career. Now, having said that, that is the goal of, like, I animate for sure. Now, animation is, like, the same as anything else. Like, you're only going to get as much out of it as as if you put into it, right? So if you don't, we can teach you. We can tell you everything. We can review your work. But if you don't accept the notes or if you don't do the actual work, there's no way you're going to be an animator. And that's another goal is because we want people like, you know, from workshop to workshop, we want them to feel comfortable going into the next workshop and not just be pushed ahead like like a brick and mortar school, like where we want to be able to say, listen, everybody learns at different rates. So we want to be able to say, okay, if 14 weeks isn't enough for you to grasp everything that's being taught in that particular workshop, then take a break for as long as you need and then come back and apply for the next workshop. And then once you're ready, we'll get you into the next workshop. It's super simple. I mean, that's the one reason that why we didn't want to actually become a school is because we didn't want to have to have grades because grades is so subjective in animation. We just want people to know what the industry standard is. If you need to work on your mechanics, we're going to get you the mechanics help that you need. We need to show you what feature mechanics is and then for you to be able to get that to that stage before moving into facial animation. And then when we get people straight into workshop four for facial animation, then it's like, okay, now we need to open your eyes to the subtlety, sincerity, believable facial performances, lip sync, eyes, you know, getting the face to work as a unit, but also doing contained mechanics so that we're not like super broad and in, in your face. We want to be able to read all the expressions of your character to see the subtleties, to see maybe the subcontext, like let's get in there, you know?
1: Right. And I like that one of the things that you just said there was, if this isn't for that 14 weeks of that workshop, if that wasn't enough for you, then it's okay. Because it's kind of like what you said there, Mike, is it goes back to, and I know Jason, you've mentioned this before too, is get your all your failures out now. Yeah, and it's that yeah. idea of experimenting and not being afraid to, to fail. And that's where you're going to learn. Yeah.
3: Right. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's the one thing that I wanted to be different, you know, about uh, I animate is that if someone's been in game animation like for five or six years, chances are their body mechanics are pretty good. We may want to bring the mechanics up to a feature level, but if they wanted to work on facial animation, then we could probably start them straight in at Workshop Four and not begin again with the uh, with the bouncing ball. Because see, the worst thing for me is to put like experienced animators in with beginning animators because. It doesn't work for either party, you know, because the most experienced animator is going to get bored, you know, of doing the bouncing ball, get it right first time. The beginning animator uh, is going to be afraid to ask questions and it's going to feel bad because I'm not getting it right all the time at the same speed or the same level of polish that the the more experienced person is. So we need to keep people in the same workshop at the same level. And that's why I look at all the reels when people apply. And say, okay, I need you to start focusing on natural mechanics. Like a lot of uh, game animators may be doing something that's specific for games where they have to do it in a certain number of frames and a certain, you know, they're using certain characters that may be be a little bit more limited.
1: What about you, Mike? What is some of the stuff that you've been enjoying about animation and as well as teaching it here at iAnimate?
0: Well, I mean, just just to talk about teaching, I mean, it's, um, I think it evolves for me too. And I think what works so well for me with iAnimate is the freedom Jason has given us to not have to like worry about grades and stuff. Um, Because I've always felt like animation is a very subjective art form. And how do you grade something that's so subjective, you know? And that you, you know, a person's at where a person's at right now, period. Um, And so I think it's just one of those things where, one person might be a little bit more advanced in some areas than someone else, right? But it doesn't have to necessarily be because they didn't work as hard as someone else. So anyway, I, I think it's one of those things where what it allows me to do, I can look at each student in my class and kind of make an assessment. You know? And if I've got a student who's really struggling, it gives me the freedom to say, okay, you know what? Let's abandon the exercise for a minute here, and let's look at what you're having problems with. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll have a student go, okay, you know what? Let's just go ultra vanilla here, and let's just do 50 frames of a piece of mechanics based on what the assignment calls for. So if we're doing like a heavy lift or something, I'll have the the students sit there and have the character just pick something up and put it up on top of a block or something, and and I'll get that student to polish on 50 frames, and I think it kind of kickstarts them back. okay, I got it now, you know. And I've had a lot of success with students who were struggling trying to do 200 frame shots, and just basically not being able to manage their time and getting behind every week out of frustration because there's too much to manage you know so then i can sit there and go you know what stop for a second and let's look at what's happening here and let's this maybe let's do a different approach and i i had i had this one guy i remember very clearly he was trying to do way too much and so i said why don't we just have the character stand there um bend down pick up this this ball and put it on top of this pedestal and so we did that for two weeks and he got it to polish and I was just like there you go and he was just like all smiles you know because it was kind of like I lessened the burden in terms of this has to be a huge shot and you have to be doing all this stuff and he was able to stop for a second and and do a basic mechanic and get it to finish that's huge. Yeah. And I think that I animate in general, though, in terms of the students, there seems to be a different maturity level with our students than some other programs I've noticed. And um, I don't know exactly why it is, but I see a different level of maturity here and a different level of work, too. And I, I have to say, I think I think part of it is our rigs. I think our rigs are superior in a lot of ways, you know, I think that it allows a student to already have in a character into an appealing pose or it kind of, I think it gets them started in, in a very appealing way. Instead of trying to find it in the character and trying to find the appealing, you know, like pose it out and then try to like build something from that, you know? And so I think it, it it's easier to teach them things like overlapping shapes and poses and, and graphic posing and, and uh, mechanics, things like that. But for me, just from a teaching standpoint, I think it's just come down to not so much looking at the bigger picture. I do talk in terms of the bigger picture a lot. And sometimes I even go farther down the line with students just to kind of motivate them and say, here's what's coming and this is how exciting it is and watch what you're gonna be doing. But in terms of the actual reviews and looking at people's work, for me, I guess my evolution in teaching is, is getting to a point where working with the students, it's almost like I'm assessing each one of them as I go along and trying to find ways to give them aha moments, to give them those moments of like, oh, I get it, where things click, you know? And so it's sometimes different for a lot of students, you know? But at the same time, you have to do a kind of a global motivation for everybody. You know, you do a clip analysis or you do demos sometimes. I don't know. I really, really do care about every student and I care about their motivation factor. I care about their commitment to it. And so... You know, I think I try a lot of times to just encourage them. And I I do give the speech once in a while to my students about, you know, back when I was just a PA at PBI, you know, I was struggling for four years to get into animation. And I went through every piece of hell you can imagine to get my first gig. But I would never, ever, ever change it for any amount of money in the world because, first of all, it shaped me. And. To who I am. For those experiences shaped me. Second of all, each piece of bad news I got along the way was a motivation to go in a different direction towards my goal, instead of just becoming comfortable where I was and staying there, you know. So sometimes you need that as well. And then thirdly, it's in, in a way, all the the hard times and the struggles, they're insignificant in the grand picture, but they're important because they do shape you, I think. So I I give that preach sometimes where I'm like, (laughs) I enjoy the journey basically good or bad because it's shaping you. It's it's you're on a path somewhere. And if you want to be an animator, make that decision to be an animator and be an animator because I remember four years at PDI just struggling to make ends meet, but I never, ever, ever had a day of doubt what I was going to do. I never had a moment of like, maybe this is going to be too hard. I never, ever had that moment. And I was so stubborn And I think that's what got me to that point where I was able to do it, you know? So
1: yeah. Anyway, what about you, Jason? You mentioned you're celebrating 20 years of animation. What is it that still gives you that, that joy and that enjoyment of animation?
3: Oh, I mean, everything like it's see with every shot that you're ever going to do, they're always going to be different to the one you've just done. Right. So I've never done two shots that are exactly the same. Which So so it's like you've got a different puzzle in every shot to solve. So I I love just the fact of thinking of a shot from concept all the way through to delivering like the final version of it where now your characters are fully acting. They're believable. People are reacting to it, whether they're laughing or whether there's an emotional beat or if they're scared or whatever it is. That's the thing that drives an animator. It's getting to that final phase of people emoting to your work, letting it like go off and live. Now you're creating a piece of history. Nobody's ever done that shot before exactly the way you've done it. And it's going to live on forever. You're creating a piece of history with every shot that you're doing. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) But you are creating a piece of history that people can say that was a Larry Vasquez shot, that was a Mike Walling shot, or it was a Jason Ryan shot, or... Fill in the blank. That is your wow. shot. Nobody's ever going to do it exactly the way you did it. And that's what drives me, you know. And I've got so many things in my head that I want to try and get out. And I just wish there was more hours in the day, you know, to do <laughs> it, you know. Uh, yeah. Like, I want to do, like, a music video, a full-on music video to one of my uh, original songs. And uh, cool. and I'm going to do that, like, very soon. <laughs> and I've got awesome. these little webisodes that I want to do that... uh that and I've got like so many friends who are, are voice actors and actors, and, and they've always wanted to do animation. I'm, now I'm giving them an outlet to actually lend their voices to some original characters and original yes. ideas and get, letting the students participate in that. Um, so we're doing like all these short film ideas. I mean, this is this, this to me, like, is, is the, the most enjoyable part is helping people, like Mike Walling said, like helping people find those aha moments in their own time and like in their own lives like whether they're 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 struggling and they feel like oh i'm never going to get this and then when they get that aha moment they're like and you can see it in their eyes like i finally get that you know there's a lot more to get but i finally get that one piece that i was struggling with and then the next one and once you find that you never lose it
2: yeah
3: once you find that aha you're never going to lose it you're never going to go backwards you're never going to go Gonna become a worse animator than you are now. I know it may feel that way sometimes, (laughs) but (laughs) you're like, why (laughs) am I doing this? But once you solve it, once you get past that struggle point, and the shot's done and it's polished and it's approved, you're like, oh man, I wonder why I was worrying about that so much, you know? Yeah. Because like once you're in the shot, like it is a struggle, but for me, it's actually an enjoyable struggle now. You know, like I know that I'm gonna get beyond it. I know I'm gonna get it done one way or the other and exactly. it, and i know like i'm going to be able to analyze what's going wrong with the shot and fix it but like in that particular moment at that, that s- struggle point you kind of go oh man yeah I-, I need to just kind of take a break from this and then come back like in two hours time or something and and have yep. another look at it like with fresh eyes you know but uh but yeah it, it that's that's the reason why it just keeps it fresh for me i couldn't have said it better actually. thanks mate <laughs>
1: Well hey guys, I've kept you long enough. I really do appreciate your time. This has been way cool and I think very, very informative. So I really do appreciate it.
3: Awesome. Oh, you're more than welcome, Larry. I really appreciate yeah, you, you doing everything that you're doing for IAnimate and all these these podcasts. I mean, I love listening to these while I'm in work, you know? Just like throw yeah. them on, throw on the earphones and just kind of work away. You got that radio yeah. voice, you know?
1: <laughs> this is Larry coming live, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the golden pitch.
3: He <laughs> does,
0: right?
1: Awesome. <laughs> Well, with that, I will bid you adieu. Thank you, guys. All right, guys.
0: Thank right, you guys. Take, take care. everybody. Uh-